Hey, y'all, welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I am your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I'm going to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. In this episode, number 258, I have the privilege of welcoming back a favorite guest, Lynn Jackson of Connected Families. Today, she's taking on the role of occupational therapist and giving us advice for our kids who struggle to process sensory information. You become a student of your child and try to figure out what calms them down. If dinner is just a nightmare, do I put something in the crock pot and go to the park before dinner and get that big muscle activity before I'm asking my kids to sit still and tolerate this sensory barrage? So you're, you're looking to see, you know, is it the park? Is it, could I just give them a little massage while I'm talking to them about what we're going to do once we get out to the car and take our little drive someplace? It's just trying to figure out what calms my child down well and how can I provide that for them before they have to do something stressful? In a world that's louder and busier and full of more sensory information than ever, I know I am not the only parent who is working through the challenge in parenting a child that struggles to process that information. Wherever your child falls on that spectrum, well, Lynn is going to hold our hand today and help us get a little more perspective on what's going on in this child that you're parenting to kind of give us the grace that we need, the compassion that we need. And even if you don't have a child with sensory processing disorders or um, difficulties, that you can have understanding for your friends, that you can come alongside them and say things like, wow, this is hard and you are being such a patient mom. Whatever your kids bring to the table, I don't have to remind you that motherhood's hard. And one aspect of mothering we often neglect is taking care of ourselves. That's why I love one of this month's sponsors, Fab Fit Fun, because they make it simple with their seasonal subscription boxes. Every season they send out a box of full-size beauty, health, fitness products that you can pick and choose to meet your needs. And in my box this fall was a charcuterie board which can make entertaining a little nicer or afternoon snack time, some cheese and apples slices. I even got a roller ball with deep relax uh, aromatherapy that helps out with homework time when I'm about to lose my mind. If you want to check it out, go to fabfitfun.com and use the code DMA10 to save $10 off your first box, making it only $39.99. Everything in the box is valued at over $200. So go check it out, fabfitfun.com. Use that code DMA10 to get $10 off your first box. All right, let's get to my chat with Lynn. Here we go. Hey, Lynn, welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm excited to be back. Always love to chat with you. Okay, us mamas need you today. I personally uh, have been the recipient of your wisdom and particular with one of my kiddos who is a little bit more challenging in behaviors and just your insight as an occupational therapist and having us fill out a sensory processing form and just highlighting where sometimes these behaviors, there's more going on than meets the eye. And it just helped uh, Bruce and I connect with him better, which is your ministry at Connected Families. 
and get understanding and then even pursue professional help. And so mm-hmm. I want that for the moms who are listening. So would you just give us a quick explanation of sensory processing difficulties? Yeah, it's kind of the elevator speech of, well, what is this in a, in a quick nugget? Um, it's when a child processes sensory information in a way that's just a, a little different than his peers. Um, it might come in too intense. It might come in too weak. It might come in confusing. They might be uh, integrating all the pieces together in a way that just doesn't quite make sense to them. And life becomes stressful. And these kids are usually um, just they have more anxiety than the, the typical child. They're more overwhelmed. Uh, it often shows up in being more controlling because they feel internally out of control. So they, they're internally stressed and then they pass that stress on to their families um, and can easily become pretty discouraged kiddos. Yeah, and I think what we saw was, I'm a speech-language pathologist, so I knew about sensory processing and you would think that this would be, oh yeah, and i be right on it. But it took me a while to actually seek outside help because the problems didn't seem to be big enough to be interfering with school. Mm-hmm. Um, he was challenging. And yet I was like, well, he's still learning and he's getting good grades and he has friends. But as the years are going on, I'm seeing more the emotional impact and impact on peer relationships and sibling relationships and our relationship. But when they're little, it just looks like they're being difficult. <laughs> hard. Yes, it does. And moms can feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. My daughter was famous for 45 minute meltdowns over just, you know, changing her clothes or doing her cares in the evening. And you just, what is with this kid? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, it's easy to overreact to that and throw your hands up and go, what's wrong with them? Well, and if that's your first child, and the child's a two-year-old, you hear the word terrible twos, you think, well, this is just what two-year-olds are. I didn't realize how hard it could get, Mm -hmm. right? And then you go to a play date and your child's acting so much more difficult than the other kids. And you think, well, I must not have read the right book. Right. So there's a lot of moms out there kind of trying to sort through what's behavior that's a hard issue and what what is this sensory thing? So how many kids have this issue? Can we help normalize it a little bit? Yeah, right. Well, it depends on kind of how severely you define this. For children to have a diagnosis of sensory processing disorder, that's more like in the 5 to 10% range. But um, up to 20% of kids can have nervous systems that are just like functioning a little different from their peers in a way that's just a little more stressful for them and gets in the way of everyday life. And sometimes if parents don't understand that, that can really spiral into, you know, a negative identity, a black sheep identity and patterns in the family as parents don't know what to do and they don't understand why this child is struggling. Mm -hmm. If they're always the one that's having the hard time, they start to carry a little bit of shame that you aren't even intending to message, but it's just exactly. built into a bigger family being different from everyone else. Right. If kids don't understand that their nervous system is different than their siblings, then if they have a harder time in life, they can only kind of conclude, I'm just kind of a bad kid. And you said, I mean, it is a spectrum, right? There's, I fell on the spectrum. I was the little kid who 
didn't like footed pajamas or tags on my shirt. And <laughs> was told by my older siblings that I cried for a whole year. I mean, I, I was definitely um, more quote unquote sensitive is how I was labeled. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so well, I want to I want to dive into that word right there because yeah. you know I've actually changed the t- the title of this talk from challenging children to understanding your sensitive or intense child mm. um, because parents will often go oh they're so sensitive or this kid is so intense and see it in such a negative way mm-hmm. but you know if you stop and think of it how would you describe Jesus was he insensitive was he laid back no he was a sensitive intense man mm-hmm. <laughs> on a mission mm-hmm. and so just like you you're you're impacting thousands around the world god has used that sensitivity that intensity um, for really good purposes so it just helps right out of the shoots to reframe um, it, if we think our child is sensitive or intense thank you for that yes to reframe it to give them a a different identity and it's so hard. Like I remember when mine were little and people would say, oh, I see such leadership gifts in them. And I thought it's really <laughs> hard to parent a leader. <laughs> like, sure, I know I parented one. <laughs> one day this is going to pay off. But right now it is really hard. So how do you know if your child is just having difficulty processing sensory experiences or just being a jerk? Like just, <laughs> you know, you mean a center or just making yeah. poor choices, making in the poor, <laughs> poor choices, living out of their sin nature. What, what, uh-huh. You Which know, we all do. I even feel like when I'm describing my child to a teacher or a coach, it's like they look at me like I'm just making excuses for them. And how do we not make it? It's not an excuse. It's more just an understanding. But how do I know this is going deeper than just bad choices and difficult behavior? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, it helps to start with just looking for the clues. And and by the way, as I look at this topic, it helps to look at every child with a pair of glasses that has one sort of sensory physiological lens and one emotional, behavioral, spiritual lens. Mm -hmm. Uh, And to realize I just have to have both of those lenses on at one time. Even a child that doesn't have sensory issues, if I'm sensitive to, you know, their sleep, their diet, um, their stimulation, that's going to help me to see the big picture of that child. But for sure, with kids with sensory issues, to, to be looking for those clues of little things that might be more stressful for them than other kids. So I can take you through a quick kind of whirlwind tour through yeah. kids' nervous system, if that works for you. That would be awesome. When when my occupational therapist took me through a pyramid, it was so helpful to kind of understand how we're made and just how God made us and how things can go awry a little bit. So mm-hmm. yeah, right. walk us through it. All right. So the first principle is that each person's nervous system is really unique. And um, sometimes that's in how we process sensory information. And sometimes it's just in how quickly we learn things or how uh, some learning challenges that we have. And uh, differences in learning styles can be really stressful for kids as well, in addition to sensory. So you might hear this talk about sensory and think, oh, my child doesn't have that. But if they have really strong peaks and valleys and how they learn, that's stressful as well. And so that can cause behavior challenges as well. But today we're going to focus on the sensory piece and uh, to 
you know, run you through that. The same sensory input can feel really different for different people, like light touch on your arm. My husband loves it. And I, if he would do it to me, I'd rub and erase it, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or think about amusement park rides. It's not just that you're sort of a, a whirly twirly guy or gal or you're not. It's about you process that sensory information really differently. And in general, um, kids tend to and people tend to be oversensitive or undersensitive. So if you're undersensitive to sensory information, you kind of live in sort of a fog and you might have poor coordination, decreased body awareness. You might be sort of floppy or unstable, or sometimes you're just like constantly seeking to try to get more of this input because you're not getting enough and you move all around and can't sit still at dinner and you're flopping and crashing and all those things. And, and life can be really confusing for these kiddos and, and kind of overwhelming. Um, I had a, a, a roommate once who said, I mean, and she would watch her hands do every simple task like cutting. She says, I can only do one thing after dinner, either loading the dishwasher or folding laundry, but I can't do both because it's so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So there's kids like this that it takes so much for them to concentrate on a physical task because they aren't getting good information that they they give up easily and they get branded as lazy. Mm. Um, and that's really a tough, a tough place to be. But then there's the the kiddos that are oversensitive. And that's like, instead of living life in a fog, it's like living life in a storm of uncomfortable barrage of sensations. And this happens usually in more than one sensory system. But, you know, in the in the tactile system, it might be issues with clothing, tags, textures, seams, could be they hate grooming or hygiene cares or overreact to hot and cold and pain. Um, like I said, my daughter could just have a meltdown over brushing her teeth or changing clothes and (laughs) sitting on a toilet, cold toilet seat before bed was like the worst. (laughs) So I learned to warm it up with a blow dryer and then it went much better. (laughs) That is awesome. Well, it's like, this is why the, the wipes warmer for babies. Yeah. Yeah. That came at the right time for one of my, yeah, I didn't know, but that was really helpful for me. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah, For sure. And she told me once when she was in her twenties, we were laughing about it and she said, but you know, mom, I liked it best when you sat on it first. (laughs) (laughs) So I mean, it's a great metaphor for tuning into what's stressing your child and making an allowance for that, but doing it in a really connected personal way. Yeah, because some people might say, well, okay, seriously, they're just winning. And are they ever really going to learn if you just keep making it easy for them and you're being the lawnmower parent? You know, all the things Mm -hmm. that maybe a generation ago would have been like, well, just buck up, move on. Your sensory system will figure it out, which is true. It develops over time. Some of these Mm -hmm. things, the the peaks and valleys lessen and narrow. Mm -hmm. But if you're raising a child and your goal is to let them know that you love them and stay connected to them in the little years, turn on the blow dryer and heat up the toilet seat. You know what I mean? Right. It's not, right. it's going to be a lot less than the tantrum. Yeah, exactly. And then over time you just do it a little quicker and a little quicker. And then one day you might go, do you think you can just sit on this, this yes. toilet seat all by yourself without the blow dryer? And the, if you've had a habit of encouraging the child along the way, they may well go, yeah, I'll try it. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's how you avoid just creating dependence. You figure out the just right challenge for kids. Um, and if their nervous system is com- frequently being triggered into dysregulation and upset, um, 
states, then that's forming pathways around that dysregulation. So you want to work to modify their environment enough that they're not so stressed and their nervous system can begin to calm down. So let's talk. I know we're going to talk about all the systems. You haven't gotten to the third one yet, but you said dysregulation, regulation. Can you just talk about that a little bit? Because some people might not know what that means. Right. Because I think it's important, and especially when you're talking about a daughter at the end of the day before bedtime, yes, make allowance because they're probably going to be the most dysregulated at the end of the day, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just give a like a two sentence overview and then we'll talk about it in just a bit. But it's about the kind of the arousal state, the energy level, the alertness state of your brain all the way from asleep to total fight or flight. I'm freaking out and everything in between. And so when a child is dysregulated, then that means they're up out of that sort of that medium level where we're relaxed, alert, and they're starting to get up and their brain is firing faster and faster, higher frequencies, more and more stress as they're approaching fight or flight. So that's dysregulation, getting out of relaxed alert state. Yeah. Okay. So what's you talked about talked about touch. Um, It can be social touch, not liking, you know, being not a huggy kid, overreacting to touch, um, all those kinds of things. Um, If you see something's off in how they process touch. And then there's inner ear location and space kind of stuff. A lot of the kids that have sensory issues also are pretty sensitive to where their head is in space. And maybe it's exaggerated or stressful. So like might get car sick easily, you know, not liking extreme movements, or as I said, they might be undersensitive and they're constantly seeking that extreme movement, crash, burn, smash, take risks kind of kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then there's the auditory system. Uh, our son had meltdowns over sounds like you wouldn't believe the black blender, vacuum, fireworks, all those kinds of things. Sometimes kids react to repetitive noises, tapping, chewing other people in their space, um, lunch rooms, things like that. And the, the here's the, the glitch that parents often get so frustrated with. It's like these kids want to control their auditory environment. It's like, turn that that music down, or I need my program, or they just talk loud because internally they're driven to try to get, a, get control of their auditory environment because they're so overwhelmed. And so lots of these kids will be loud talkers, frequent talkers, or they will need to control the TV or the radio or whatever. And they're not being, it's not a selfish Of course, it's always mixed in with our selfishness and our sin, but their primary motivation is compensation and coping with their overstress. Mm -hmm. But I think the key is sometimes we make something that is them feeling out of sorts physically into a spiritual thing. Yes. And that's where we lose their hearts because Mm -hmm. they know what's going on internally that we don't. And to not make it be a spiritual thing when it's not <laughs> or right. obey me right away, all the way, the perfect way, the happy way. And your child yeah. is like completely dysregulated. <laughs> yeah. And stressed and overwhelmed. And stressed and, and overwhelmed. And now you're out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. The final sensory system we'll talk about is uh, just the visual. And a lot of times this is hypersensitivity to light, bright, light, or bright colors 
or fluorescent lights or eye contact. It also can be overwhelmed at crowds and stores and things like that. And it also can be compulsion with screens because the screen sort of is this glowing thing that emits light at our faces instead of reflecting light like the rest of the environment. So it's got a high ability to sort of dominate our brain function. And so kids will glom onto that if they're feeling stressed in their environment. And um, I had a little 15 month old that knew how to get videotapes out of the stack, choose the one he wanted, put it in the player, punch power, punch play, and sit down right in front of our little video player at 15 months because he was so dominated by needing a screen. And then when I did a lot of sensory work with him, that normalized and he was just a typical kid. So that was my little example of these kids often glom onto screens or Legos or something to try to dominate the sensory barrage that they're experiencing. Hmm. So does that all make sense? Yeah. Yeah. The pyramid that I got at our little therapist has kind of three of them at the bottom of the pyramid that feed into some of the ones that we typically think of as our senses. So Mm -hmm. really recognizing what's even the nervous system behind our sense of smell and seeing and tasting and hearing, realizing there's a system behind that. And I don't think a lot of us know about and recognizing the impact that those have even all the way up the pyramid to learning and daily activities. And so talk to us about how these challenges impact everyday life. We've kind of mentioned it a little bit here or there, but go into that a little bit so that the mom doesn't feel so alone (laughs) if that's her everyday life. Right, right. Well, when kids are stressed like this, they have a tendency not to recover. And so sometimes it just builds one thing on another. Mm. And, you know, they're kind of trying to hold it together. And then all of a sudden, they lose it over something that's just you think this is ridiculous. Mm. So that can be one way that it shows up. And and also just that they from one day to the next, it's like their nervous systems are balanced on the head of a pin. And a chore that you asked your child to do yesterday that they did willingly, then today sets off a meltdown. Yeah. And you just think, oh, well, you just jerking my chain or whatever. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's that their systems are so unstable because of this stress. So, um, you know, practical ways that it shows up, like I mentioned, hygiene and dressing, eating, toileting and GI problems are really common with these kiddos, because if their nervous system is biased towards fight or flight, then it needs to shut down, rest and digest. It's almost like they're on a teeter totter and one goes up the other one goes down. Uh, Sleep problems are common, difficulty waking up or difficulty going to sleep or staying asleep because they're overstimulated. And imagine if the volume on all your sounds and the sensations in your body was turned up and you were to try to fall asleep, that would be really hard. Um, Car rides, meals, meals are often torturous because of the, I didn't even talk about systems of taste and smell, but taste and smell, and they're surrounded by people in close proximity. So auditory, it's kind of stimulating. And then right across the table from their sibling, who's glaring at them. So visually, and I mean, it's just chaos. So what are the kids doing? They're trying to cope. They're jumping down. They're complaining about the food. They're squirming in their seats. They might fall off their chair. I mean, they're, they're trying to do something that they feel in control of because they feel so out of control in a situation like that. 
Does your dinner table look at all what Lynn just described? I know for several of my kids with sensory issues, it for sure does. And that's why I love this month's sponsor, Prep Dish. I've told you about them before, but particularly in this context, it's helpful that Allison has already created a meal plan for me. So I know what's for dinner and it solves one one less thing for me to worry about each night. And I know that this week there's a slow cooker meal on the menu, Moroccan chicken. And so that's a night that I can definitely be fully present with my sons who struggle to sit still after a long day at school. If you want to check them out, go to prepdish.com forward slash DMA and you can get your first month for four dollars. They have paleo options, gluten-free, keto. And if your family has specific dietary restrictions like nut-free, she usually swaps out and gives you ideas on how to make it work for your family. And even if you're not one of those diets, we aren't a paleo family, but my kids love the meals that I've planned and always gives us some variety, like bison. If you saw my Insta stories last week, go check them out, prepdish.com forward slash DMA to get your first month for only $4. All right, let's get back to my chat with Lynn. Here we go. I was thinking like the things you mentioned, the bathroom, eating, and sleep are the things you can't make a kid sleep. You can't mm-hmm. make a kid go to the bathroom. I've tried. You can't mm-hmm. make a kid eat. So those are the things that they can control and maybe where their control comes out even more if they're not given control in other areas or especially if they're dysregulated and feeling out of control. They're going to clamp down on those three. Exactly. You're yeah. brilliant. You should do a podcast. I should do a podcast. I should. I mm-hmm. should. I think so. No, but I think that those and that's where our battlegrounds become and um it would it would be helpful for moms hopefully to realize, oh, that's hard for other moms too. So how could they help if those are where some battlegrounds are and we're seeing that our kids maybe maybe aren't the diagnosed sensory processing disorders, but we're seeing some of these things that you've mentioned be problems, what advice would you give? Well, I want to just address two more real quickly okay, before yeah, I answer that. Please. Um, and one is transitions. If a child is locking on to something, an activity to try to help him cope, it's really difficult to unlock on that, Get find his clothes and his shoes and his whatever, and get himself out to the car. Mm. So that's another frequent thing. Transitions away from a preferred activity to something else are much more difficult just because of the way the nervous system works. And then school and homework. If they're overstimulated at school all day long and they come home, they're going to come home from school a lot of times stressed, needing to feel in control. And so they'll pick a fight with a sibling or they'll be sassy walking through the door. (laughs) Um, And we actually have a post on our website about kids and after school that, um, you know, if you can put the link in the show notes, um, we could probably put in a few key articles on sensory processing if that works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, To just give parents a resource for some of these things. So in general, um, it's hard to answer those that question. So what do you do? Yeah. (laughs) Um, You become a student of your child and try to figure out what calms them down. Mm -hmm. You know, if dinner is just a nightmare, do I put something in the crock pot and go to the park before dinner and get that big muscle activity before I'm asking my kids to sit still and tolerate this sensory barrage? So you're, you're looking to see 
you know, is it the park? Is it, could I just give them a little massage before, uh, while I'm talking to them about what we're going to do once we get out to the car and take our little drive someplace, you know, it's just trying to figure out what calms my child down well, and how can I provide that for them before they have to do something stressful? Uh, So that's one piece of it. And then the other is, is there a way to reduce the level of stress and difficulty to a level that works for my child. So, you know, we talk about prepping for kids for the holidays and, um, you know, how you make sure that they get the, you know, big holiday gatherings or something like that, you know, or any kind of big gathering, you make sure that they've gotten uh, enough sleep and then you are really affectionate with them. So they feel that close connection. So you're meeting the emotional, behavioral, soul kind of lens needs. And then right before the activity, you know, like I say, you might do a big fun motor activity or give them a little massage or something like that. Um, and then during the stressful gathering, you're going to check in with them and see how they're doing and just, you know, give them a hug, maybe take them outside for a little bit, give them a break. So you're really monitoring what's coming at my child. And I am I empowering them with some calming sensory activities, some connection, letting them know if they're feeling stressed, they can come to me and we'll figure something out offering choices of activities. So it's, it's, it's a smorgasbord of what calms my child down? How can I stay really connected to them? How can I assess how stressful this activity is for them? And then how can I support their best performance with calming, organizing, brain organizing sensory activities? That's good. And I found when we're in seasons like summer, and holidays and vacations, aka trips, mm-hmm. that there's a lot more challenges because everything is so unpredictable for them. Mm-hmm. So I think they're even more on guard because they don't know what sensory input's going to come at them. Or with cousins, the cousins will respond in a way that they're not used to. And so there are a lot more just moments of getting upset. And so taking those sensory breaks kind of thing, having mm-hmm. having a bag full of things that you know calm them down or provide that outlet or we've gotten some input on, okay, spinning revs him up, deep pressure calms him down. So again, like you said, going back to being a, st- a student of your child and, mm-hmm. and that might involve a professional coming in and doing some testing or so how do you know if you're there yet, if you're at a place where you need a professional? Cause I've, I've seen the professional help really impact some negative behaviors we were seeing that really got us to the point where we wanted the help. Some just some language of how he was talking about himself, uh, Mm -hmm. just some self-harming talk or just real, real extreme anger, which to me is secondary. And I think shame was the primary thing. So that I mean, I think we went too far. But how do you know when it's time? (laughs) Like, I think we waited too long. But what what advice would you give to a mom? Because it's expensive. And if you have little kids, it's a lot to drive them to a therapy appointment every week for an hour. So mm-hmm. we don't want to waste our time or our money if your child is not in need. Right, right. Well, I think um, you can kind of take it in steps. You know, if I, if I were experiencing this myself, 
you know, what I would probably do is I would really read up on it and understand it. So I'm educated. Then if I decide to go to a therapist, I know the right questions to ask. They can use the professional language and I'm on board with them, not overwhelmed. So educating yourself first is a great first step. And there's um, a great book by Lucy Jane Miller. She's really the world's current um, best researcher on sensory integration as an occupational therapist at any rate. Um, And it's called Sensational Kids. It's not a quick read, but it's a great book and it'll give you a good understanding of what might be going on. Then, you know, you could try some of the suggestions. You could look on our website and just put in sensory and you'll find a whole bunch of stuff and begin to experiment. And again, if you, if things really start to turn around, then, you know, you've got some answers. And then if not, you also are well-informed when you go to the therapist. Mm -hmm. So I think as I reflect on your exact question, The question that I might ask parents in return is look at your patterns of interaction today, knowing that the family interactions are the patterns that are going to shape your child's relational future. As you extrapolate those patterns into the future, five, 10 years, are you, do you have significant concern? And if the answer is yes, then I would really start on this journey of get educated. And if things don't change substantially as you get educated, then get professional help. And how young? Like I know for some kids that are born with certain diagnoses from from birth, you know, it's time to get occupational, physical speech therapy. But for other kids, it can be trickier. What's some of the youngest ages where this can show up to a point where a parent might need to get professional help? Well, it's really an interesting question because I I worked with both of our kids when they were really young, like our son was a year and a half and he, our daughter didn't respond as well. I'm not sure. I think I wasn't doing as comprehensive a program with my son. I really, I did a lot of deep pressure massage kind of activities, a lot of rough and tumble play. And I was very careful about how I gradually did increased intensity swinging. You know, I knew what I was doing because I was a therapist, so I could do that. He changed dramatically at a year and a half. Mm. Um, and his language, he had, he had lost, started to lose language. Um, and his, at two years of age, his language exploded. Mm. So the earlier that you get a child in for help, the quicker their nervous system can turn around. So it certainly isn't something like, oh, just wait another five years and see how it goes. I'd get educated and start to, to talk to um, some professionals pretty quickly as soon as you have significant concerns. And I, the reason we stepped forward with our decision, I was talking to um, David Thomas, the counselor out of Nashville who specializes in boys. And I said, okay, we don't know if we should go see counselor or get a psychologist and get a diagnosis or what. And he said, I'd start with occupational therapy. He said, I often wonder if the boys I see at 13 and 14 years old, if I wouldn't need to see them if they'd had one year of occupational Mm -hmm. therapy, because now I'm seeing that input it not being regulated as you then enter puberty and more complex social interactions if your nervous system is struggling already then to add on the hormones i could see where some of those behaviors could um escalate so right right i was was thankful that i asked and 
And my hope in this conversation is not to scare anyone, but more to just equip y'all so that you don't keep trying the same thing, being frustrated or isolating yourself. I think that some of my boys' behavior caused me to isolate myself from other friendships and play dates because it was just too much for me to have try to have a conversation with a friend while my son was throwing a tantrum. That even happened this summer multiple times. Mm-hmm. But now we're to the point where I have the established friendships and they know my child and they're supporting me and saying, you're doing a great job as I'm handling a very hard situation. And so I, it's better to do it together. But when you have a little one and everyone's trying to look like a good mom, it can cause you to just say no to the playdates. And um, I've met some of you moms at the park and and I know that you're you're alone in this and I don't want that. I would love for you to find other people who are dealing with a sensitive or more intense child and to get mm-hmm. the help that you need. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that about what the your counselor psychologist person said um, is to get that help early on. I actually, and there's a specific reason for that is once, you know, when a child is young, the OT playroom is the coolest thing around. It is amazing. Swings and mini tramps and big balls. Oh, the gyms are a blast, but you put a teenager in there and they're going to be like, they'll see all the small children Mm. and they'll go, oh, wow, this is really, this is stupid. I'm not doing this, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I actually did work with a teenager once that he needed OT when he was little, but his mom had no idea about sensory processing. And and she brought him, I met her at church, so she started asking me about him, and then she brought him into the clinic. And um, he was having some pretty scary thoughts at that point in his life. You know, he, and so he's sitting down on his chair, just looking all sullen. I'm trying to like, okay, if I could just channel my inner gym, my husband, youth worker, right? <laughs> you know, to relate to this kid. But when I brought out the therapy brush, it was like his eyes locked onto it. And he suddenly started to cooperate and we did a program with him. And after that, his mom's told me that he said he hopped in the car one day after school and he said, mom, I've never been so happy in my life. Mm. I was like floored. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at any age, it can make a difference and make a huge difference. But get those kids in as soon as possible. And if they're looking for a therapist, I mean, I I personally found mine by going to like a Facebook page for our community where people just ask questions. They sell things and they ask questions. And I kind of scrolled through where people had already given their favorites and kind of called a bunch of places and found ours that way. Um, Is there like a central place that you'd recommend or just be brave and ask people? (laughs) Oh, um, I should know the answer to this. (laughs) And maybe I can give you a link about that. Um, There's a a, yeah, there's a star facility in Denver. That's that is this is where Lucy Jane Miller, author I mentioned, does her work. Um, It's sensory treatment and research. I believe, or is sensory therapies and research is the acronym. And I believe they have a, a registry of therapists that are well-trained in sensory integration around the country. So, And I think if your child's under three and some states will pay for a therapist to come to you, is that true? For oh, for sure. OT? Yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's free. Don't let, they're little and really extreme and need it. Don't let the money thing Will insurance pay for it if they have a diagnosis of sensory processing disorder? 
A lot of insurance will, but then, you know, parents often have huge deductibles, yeah. so yeah. it's pretty tough. Yeah, yeah the birth to three programs in the school systems will often do that. So Yeah, in some schools, yeah, yeah some elementary schools, public schools mm -hmm. have good yeah. programs. Yeah, check it out for sure. Thank you, Lynn, for this. And I just hope y'all will continue to connect with Lynn and check out the resources at Connected Families. I'll put them in the show notes and you can search more and follow them at their podcasts. They're always giving such great advice, godly biblical advice for staying connected with your kids. So thank you, Lynn. You're welcome. It was fun to connect. Anytime. I totally understand that when we bring up our kids and we bring up special needs and we bring up challenges that it can stir a lot of emotions in us, whether it's defensiveness, whether it's um, wanting others to understand, whether it's guilt. I know for myself, I felt guilt over not signing up sooner for occupational therapy, but also feels stressful because it's usually a financial element. So I'm going to pray peace over us. Lord, this work that you have assigned us to of parenting and guiding souls is beyond our abilities. And I pray, Lord, that you would overwhelm us with a spirit of peace and comfort. If the parent listening has been stirred to do something or seek out a professional, I pray that you would make that path really clear. And that if the concerns about finances are holding them back, that you would take care of that, that you would provide a surprise person who would cover the expense or a friend who's willing to do it in exchange for something else. Whatever, Lord, we know that you are so creative in how you solve problems for us. And I pray that this conversation would only help more families connect, more families come together experiencing the love and the grace and the forgiveness that you have to offer. I pray for my own home that as I am working through challenges and school and at home with my kids with sensory processing issues, that you would give me the patience and the perspective and the grace for myself that I am doing the best that I know how to do. I pray, Lord, um, that we would see the uniqueness in each of these kids and recognize that they do not need to be in a box, but that you have crafted them perfectly for your good purposes and that we could see the gifts in these different wirings and appreciate those gifts um, and help support them so they can, they can have good self-image, recognizing their worth and how you see them. And I just praise you and thank you that we get to join you in this effort. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, I do want to remind you that Lynn and Jim, her husband, are over at Connected Families, and they are offering their Discipline That Connects course again. I usually give a little spiel for it and a discount. If you want 15% off of that over at ConnectedFamilies.org, um, use the code DMA15 to get 15% off. And if you've taken the course before, make sure you check your email because alumni, you have a special code that you can get it for free again if you just need a refresher on discipline that connects. So go check it out at connectedfamilies.org and use that code DMA15 to get 15% off. Okay, y'all, Lynn also recorded a little bonus encouragement that's gonna go out to my email subscribers. If you wanna get a little inside look in my life and connect with different things that I'm loving, go check it out over at olaheather.com. Ola Heather, both with an H, Heather and Ola.com. You could sign up every Monday. I send out an email just connecting you with this show and other things. And um, I don't want you to miss that. That'll go out next Monday. All right. 
talk to y'all soon. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us. Moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 317, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.